Hello and welcome to One Rep at a Time, episode twenty. Hmm, twenty is a multiple of five, which means that yes, it's time for a weekly interview, and today is a special one. My guest is Nisha Millet. Nisha Millet, of course, is the Olympian who represented India in the two thousand Sydney Olympics. It's my absolute pleasure to be speaking to her. But let me tell you a little more about Nisha. Um, of course, Nisha is most famous for having represented India in the two thousand Olympics. But apart from that, she's also represented India in the ninety-eight Asian Games in Thailand. The world. Championships in Perth '99 and Indianapolis '2004. She's won medals in the Afro Asian Games and the South Asian Games. She's held the national record for the 200 and the 400 meters freestyle for 15 years, and until that record was broken in 2015. And today, after having retired for, as a professional athlete at the age of 24, today she runs a swimming academy in Bangalore, which has branches across the country as well. Firstly, it's my absolute pleasure to be able to speak to someone as accomplished as uh, Nisha, who's also, of course, won uh, an Arjuna Award. Uh, we speak about a lot of things. We speak about, of course, um, a little bit about her career, uh, a career both as a professional athlete and now as an entrepreneur, and how those two have sort of like fed into each other. Uh, what her fitness routines like? Um, what uh, uh, her little habits are? uh and you know we actually end up talking more about the mental side of things than the physical side of things which i found utterly fascinating and here's one thing that i for me one big takeaway from this entire interview was how important that whole mental aspect of fitness really is uh so i'm going to stop talking right now um and after the uh, uh and on the other side of this we'll jump right into my interview with nisha milik Please stick around. Welcome to One Rep at a Time, a podcast from CultFit that encourages you to become a healthier, better, and happier version of yourself by building small, sustainable habits. Let's welcome your host Deepak Gopalakrishnan or Chuck. It is the twentieth episode of One Rep at a Time, and I am delighted to be speaking with an Arjuna Awardee, an Olympian, a national record holder, an entrepreneur, and most of all, an inspiration. Nisha Millet. Nisha, welcome to One Rep at a Time. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Uh, so this show is really all about encouraging people to become healthier, better, happier versions of themselves by building small, sustainable habits. So during this show, we cover these from the lens of you know nutrition, stress management, sleep, and of course exercise. And I'm sure there's a lot we can talk to you about just each of these. I'm sure we can speak on one hour on just each of these. But let's start somewhere slightly different. Um, how has your training as an athlete helped you as an entrepreneur? I think there's so many uh, skills that you pick up along the way. Like I started training for my swimming at the age of nine, so I've done it for most of my life, a good thirty plus years, right? And uh, I think the couple of qualities that really help as an entrepreneur, one would be time management. I think athletes are very uh, aware of time. Uh, it's so precious, and as a swimmer, we race against time, right? So every millisecond counts. So we're very, very conscious about not wasting time. Uh, and we also learn to multitask because right through school and college days, we've had to manage, uh, you know, homework, exams, swim meets, training, and try and have some kind of social life. Uh, so that really helped not only as an entrepreneur but even as a mom, you know, handling twins. Handling a business at the same time, uh, it doesn't really fluster me. Um, I I think we are pretty organized. 
Uh, I was in fact too organized at one point. Now I'm learning to chill out a little bit uh, because you know you can't have your entire life scheduled as well. Uh, it's just that you need to have uh, you know a little bit of me time. You need to have time for work, and you have to have I think um, just that consistency uh, to keep doing the same thing over and over again, which is what athletes do very well. Uh, we do yeah. it. Uh, you know we train every day. I remember I would swim about 16 kilometers a day, and six days a week, and this was for almost. Um, 14-15 years, so that you know teaches you a lot about discipline, a lot about persistence. You know, picking yourself up because you have some terrible days, weeks, years sometimes, and you have to get back up there. And you know, as a sports person, you're also doing this uh, for other people. It's not just for yourself. You know, you're training uh, to uh, help your family out, to put in so much money. You're, you're training for to, to compete for your state, your country. So that I think I used to dealing with pressure also from a very young age. Like typically a nine year old, ten year old wouldn't really have this kind of pressure, right? Maybe at exam time a little bit. Here I would swim meets every two or three weeks, every month. Sometimes I would have to, you know, carry the Indian flag at an at an opening ceremony. I'd have to go and speak to press at the age of twelve or thirteen, and they'd say, you know, why haven't you? Why have you come back without a medal? So I think all these qualities built up over a long period of time definitely help athletes. And it doesn't mean it's only about people who made it to the Olympics. I'm talking about even athletes who have gone up to a school or a uh, you know district level or played uh, represented your school at an inter-school event. It teaches you so much in terms of teamwork, discipline, like I mentioned, time management skills, being confident, um, even things like uh, public speaking, which you know nowadays is very very common. Uh, being able to lead, so like countless I think uh, qualities that I've picked up over my years as a as a swimmer. Oh, that's uh, that's fascinating. It just seems to me that uh, one does not need to be an Olympic athlete in order to inculcate those habits into uh, into um, say a working life. It almost seems to me that any working professional would benefit greatly, not just apart from the apart from the obvious physical benefits, uh, but uh, in terms of stress, time management, and all that by just playing a sport or something. I remember uh, uh, this is not related to sports at all, but as um, uh, the uh, guitar in my background uh, uh, betrays my dark past, uh, they were, I remember my one of my bandmates at one point of time, and I use the word band very loosely, uh, said that, you know, being in a band and all the fights that we have and all the disagreements that we have really teaches you how to be a better manager. And uh, probably every uh, musician who's made it big is probably a great manager as well. And, I, and that, kind of, that thought kind of stuck with me. And I see a lot of parallels with what you were saying as well, and uh, is and I'm assuming a lot of this training, like wow, that, I mean that's pressure coming back at the age of twelve and saying why haven't you won a medal? Now that's another level of pressure altogether. From why did you let uh, this person get more marks than you? Uh, I'm assuming then you your outlook itself as a child was very different from your classmates, even at that young age when you started training at the age of nine. Yeah, I think you know uh, the normal things that concern teenagers didn't really concern me. I didn't have time. Uh, you know, to succumb to peer pressure in terms of drinking or smoking. So I actually never, I've never touched a cigarette till date. Okay, because I knew that if I did that, my swimming career would end. You know, because obviously, you know, for any athlete, but even more so as a swimmer, um, things like drinking. I knew if I had too much to drink, even as a 18, 20 year old, the next morning I couldn't go back to training. You know, so I, it was very different. People are worrying about, you know, like what do I wear for this party this weekend? And here I'm thinking about. Okay, I've got to represent the country. I have, you know, I my parents have put in so many money, so much of money. Like my parents almost put in maybe eighty to ninety lakhs into my swimming. They sold our family house. 
and put that money in to support my sister and my dream. You know, so they're middle class parents. They're not, they didn't have that kind of money, but they, whatever they had, their life savings, they put in. So I think as you grow older, and I, as I got closer to 17, 18, I realized what a big sacrifice, you know, it was in terms of money, time, uh, their own lives. Like they also didn't have a life and it was all to follow my dream. So I think uh, you get a little more uh, level-headed. Uh, you learn to, um, you know, even like manage your money. Well, I know that I got prize money and I paid for my own, uh, you know, uh, college admissions into Mount Carmel's. I said, let me take that burden off of them. So instead of spending it on, you know, uh, fancy outfits or on a trip, I said, okay, let me help my family. So I think I was quite um, uh, mature as a youngster. But yes, I did, of course, feel bad when my friends were off on a, you know, a school trip or, a, uh, you know, they'd all go for a movie and I out like a late night party and it was just a no-no for me. So there were those occasional moments when I did rebel, you know, I like, why do I have to do this? And then my dad was like, see, I mean, you're the one who wants, you have this goal of going to the Olympics. And he's always, they, my parents always said, the day you want to quit, you can quit. And typically that's how it should be with sports. Like if you stop enjoying it, uh, it's very monotonous. It's very, um, you know, it's very, very hard on the body and the mind uh, and on the pockets, you know, of your parents for putting in so much. So at any point, if I wanted to stop, I couldn't. But, you know, that for me, that fire was burning within. I knew this is my goal. I want to get there. So I would have one or two days of, you know, feeling a little bit upset that I'm missing out. But in hindsight, you know, I got to do all those things once, once I retired, you know, go on road trips and you know, stay up late and uh, take like a, a month off and travel. But uh, what you can't ever get back is those moments of, you know, standing up there with the tricolor, hearing the Indian national anthem play. You know, that's something that money can't buy, any amount of experience. And, you know, you'd see all your friends from school and college uh, come into the pool and support you. And, you know, they, the kind of excitement to see their friend, uh, you know, swimming for the country or the state. Uh, so it really made it all worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. You might have missed out on a few school trips, but you took a, a trip to Sydney that uh, I'm assuming many of your classmates would not have. Wonderful, Nisha. Thank you so much for saying that. I, I mean, that was just a, a very nice, intimate way to start, really. Um, so I want to like uh, uh, in I want to ask you a couple of things on things that you have said in the past, which I found very, very inspirational. So in one video, you spoke about something called actions over excuses. And I think that's a great topic to explore to start with because it covers many of the things that we're going to uh, that I want to speak about so could you tell us a little more about this philosophy as it applies to your life is that a recent philosophy or is that something you've always believed in uh, I think I it really uh, kind of what drove it home was me going to Australia to train uh, in India as strong as I thought I was mentally when I went out of the country I started training for my pre-olympic prep uh, with the Australians, I found their mindset was so different. But when I talked about action over excuses, you don't hear them, what they call whinging, you know, cribbing about, oh my God, I used to come and say, oh my God, I'm so tired. I haven't, uh, you know, I've had to do work at home. And if you have to clean your room, come to work. I mean, come to the pool, finish your class, go back, cook yourself, lunch, dinner. So this is all at the age of 18, 19, 20. When I thought I was doing like, you know, so much of hard work, like, you know, poor me. And one of my teammates one day came and said, she's like, Nisha, why are you whinging so much? Like, how many other Indian girls get to come to a foreign country, train one of the best swim coaches and swim teams, and have a chance at representing the country at the Olympics? She's like, I don't see what, what your deal is, you know? And she was quite, like, annoyed with me. And then I was like, oh, wow, yes. <laughs> I better get my attitude in check. So I think, you know, also sports teaches you. It's, uh, 
a very level playing field out there. So if you don't put in the hard work, like I said, if you just use excuses, like I was too tired to get up for practice or, you know, uh, it's very cold today. There'll always be others who don't use those excuses, who will put in the work and on competition day, they will beat you. So I think as an athlete, as you grow in the sport, you realize there is no shortcut to success, right? You have to go every day and you have to act. And even as a 12, 13, 14 year old, um, and it helps that swimming is in an individual sport on race day, uh, you know, because on race day, it's only you, you can't really um, hold anybody else accountable for a bad performance, you know, uh, you can say, okay, maybe the coaching wasn't so great, this, that, but at the end of the day, you are standing up there, you're racing. So I think from a young age, you realize, okay, I have to do whatever it takes. And that's why you'll see somebody like a Leander Pays, uh, you know, seven time Olympian, you know, so I went for one Olympics. I know how hard that was. So somebody like him, uh, Mary Kong, uh, I'm a mom of twins as a mom of twins and another boy. So she has three kids. She came back post-motherhood and won an Olympic medal for us and was world number one for countless years. So these are people who absolutely don't give any kind of excuses. She didn't have the money. I think a lot of people would have seen the movie Mary Common. She didn't have any kind of funding till much later. So while I could say that you know funding was an issue for me, it didn't really stop Mary Com either, right? And she won an Olympic medal. She didn't just get to the Olympics. So we have to at some point stop. Uh, you know, crying and worrying about what we don't have and focus on the strengths and the skills that we do have. And, you know, just take it one day at a time. When you're going through those tough patches, um, instead of giving excuses, I mean, you know, you have, might have to pick yourself up off the floor. But at the end of the day, you know, kind of re-examine why am I doing what I'm doing? Uh, you know, so not just in sport. I think in COVID, a lot of us went through some very tough times. I know for me as a swimming, uh, as someone who owns a swimming academy, uh, you know, I have a staff of about 25 athletes, I mean, coaches. And for two years, uh, swimming pools were the first to shut and the last to open. And there's no way you can do any kind of activity uh, online, right? In swimming, there's absolutely no way. You can't practice any skills. So it was really tough for me to kind of pick up the whole team, even tell myself that we will get through this because it felt like it would never end. You know, now we know that it has for the most part. But uh, I think that comes from the sports background. Um, you know, having regular failures, you know, when I say failures, sometimes it's something small, you know, you don't swim up best time, you go for a meet, you come last when you had a good chance of a medal. Um, some days you just, you know, just struggle through the workout and you learn that whatever happens, you put that day away and the next morning you wake up and you have to go in with that, uh, you know, that one singular kind of focus, you know, that, okay, I'm doing this to get to the Olympics, I'll do whatever it takes. You know, so that's what, uh, you know, gets you to the top in it. Yeah. That's lovely. That's, that's, um, I mean, that's a really nice philosophy and uh, just applicable to so many aspects in life. Like you said, it's not just uh, sports. So you once said um, something very nice. You said swimming was your therapy. And uh, I think that's a nice way of thinking of exercise itself. So if it's not, say, swimming, um, how, how, what is it that other people can do to find their own therapy? When do you know that, oh, this is it? This is the thing that I want to do. This is the thing that gives me happiness. Is there any heuristic, any shortcut that people can use to find their equivalent of uh, swimming? I think it's just something like when it's not in your life, you feel like it's, you know, part of you is missing. And I felt that so strongly in these two years of lockdown because the first time in 30 years, like I said, I started swimming at nine and close to 40 now. So I didn't have access to a pool for two, almost two years. Right. So I felt that, you know, like a longing, like, you know, just like, I keep telling my husband uh, that swimming is my first love, you know, so you just feel at peace uh, when you come out, it could have had a very tough day, but you jump in for a swim and when you come out, you feel refreshed. 
even wider swimming, you're so in tune with uh, your thoughts, your, your how your body feels. Like if I'm injured, if I just get in the pool, I know exactly how bad the injury is. So I'd say swimming is like, you know, uh, my home. Like a, my friends all joke and say, uh, Nisha was taken at the age of nine and dumped into a pool and then resurfaced, you know, many years later. <laughs> so I did miss out. Like I don't know how to ride a cycle. You know, I didn't have time, you know, to ride cycles. And then when I did try once, my dad is like, what if you fall and break your leg, you know? So they're like, oh my God, yes, my swimming. <laughs> so just athletes miss out on a lot of those things. But I think um, it's not just about sport, right? Anything. Like even I, I realized uh, recently in the in the lockdown, the one good thing for me in the lockdown was um, being able to go back to reading. I used to love reading. And then when I had my kids, I just did not have the time. But now I realized, wow, I, I missed it so much. Um, I started doing a counseling course and that's why I started reading again. And um, I realized that I have to make that time, you know, even if it's just half an hour, one hour a day, if you really enjoy something and you find that it brings value, it brings a certain amount of peace and calm uh, to your day. And it's something you do purely for yourself. You know, you're not doing it for money. Uh, you're not doing it for to please somebody else or somebody is forcing you to do it, I think that is what I would describe as a passion, something that it could be art, it could be, uh, you know, doing some kind of charitable works. I have so many friends who, you know, do great things for other people. So whatever it is that kind of makes you feel uh, complete at the end of the day, I like, you know, that you're, you're doing something for a greater purpose. For me, when I'm at the pool, it's just not just about me swimming. It's also about, uh, you know, seeing other people getting in the pool, loving the water as much as I do. It gives me so much of joy, you know. And uh, um, you know, I, I keep telling people that there is no uh, minimum age. We start kids at six months nowadays. And then I get mails saying, you know, my granddad is 80 and he wants to learn. And people actually learn at the age of 80. So that's why I love this sport, you know. It's like it is very accepting. The water treats everybody equal. And so that's what really helps me, you know, the fact that, However bad of a day you've had, you get into the pool, uh, you still have the same kind of, you know, water pushing against you, feeling nice and cool. You know, so what better thing to do than, you know, uh, uh, you know, get into the pool and just swim a couple of laps. So I would say, yeah, definitely my, my therapy for sure. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, that's lovely. I love that line that you said um... Uh, of what the water treats everyone uh, equally. That's such a beautiful line. Um, so, Michelle, let's talk about the importance of goal setting. And your previous answer is actually a nice segue to this, actually. I think you're very well positioned to talk about this because on one level, you were an Olympic swimmer. Uh, on the other, you're also an entrepreneur teaching a bunch of toddlers how to, or 80-year-olds as a case may be, uh, how to get more comfortable in the water. So, I'd like to think that you have seen the spectrum of goal setting, right? At one level, you have like, win a medal now that's that's a goal and on the other you have something a little more day-to-day -day in some sense which is like how do I get this young kid who's scared of the water uh, to be comfortable with it so what are some things that you think people should keep in mind when setting goals for themselves mm, I think you know they have to be certain criteria like we start goal setting very young my dad talked about it with me my coaches talked about it so I had a little diary you know, where I would write down my short-term and my long-term goals. So it was very, when I was young, it was very singular. It was like, this is what I want to do with my swimming. But as I've gotten older, I've tried to, you know, uh, uh, what do you say, uh, uh, to have goal setting with different aspects of my life, like in terms of my physical fitness, like what do I want to achieve? Like say this year, last year it was about, you know, since the lockdown was happening, I had so much free time on my hand. I said, I want to train like an athlete, like how I used to train. You know, that was my goal last year. So, uh, since work was not happening, I would get up, I would go for a long run, I would go and do some CrossFit or I would swim. So I would do two workouts a day 
and more than my weight which yeah i had put on a lot of weight i was more worried about my fitness you know so when i would wake up in the morning i would check my resting heart rate and it was going back down to the low 40s like 43 44 and it's so exciting for me because that was like you know one what i was when i was competing at the age of 18 20 and here i was 39 40 you know getting that same kind of heart rate and so then i had that kind of goal it could be something for my work like you said how do i get these kids from this level to that level so i think goal setting is important so what helps me is writing it down uh, i feel like it's not uh, like you might take at least i would take it lightly if i didn't write it down so what makes a really big difference for me is just writing it down because i kind of hold myself accountable then and sometimes you just whatever you do you don't get there uh, so at that point you just have to reexamine the goals and just set new ones you know and uh, that's always said like the, the greatest example of goal setting is the greatest olympian michael phelps right eight gold medals at one olympics and uh, how he got there was just purely about goal setting uh, so when he started his career uh, he was just starting to compete so this is a good eight to 10 years before he won that uh, legendary eight gold medals he actually sat with his coach and unlike somebody like me who said i want to get to the olympics that was my goal that was that was it right he told his coach I want to be the greatest Olympian ever, and his coach said, "Okay." So he's like, "You know, Mark Spitz, I want to beat his record," and he actually said, "I want to win eight gold medals." Uh, so so uncanny, and not only that, his coach talked so much about how he would write it down. He would only share it with his coach and his maybe his mom. It was not for anybody else to see because he think people would have laughed at this skinny ten-year-old kid saying, "I'm going to win eight gold medals one day," and he did it. You know, ten, twelve years later. So it's just to show you the power of. uh you know a dreaming big uh and abhinav bindra you know he was sitting next to me at the 2000 olympics and uh, i remember i was crying with tears i was so emotional i was like oh my god i'm at the olympics and abhinav is the same age as me he was 18 at the time and there was not there was no emotion on his face he just had this you know very calm composed look with all these shooters are very very calm and relaxed and all these swimmers are a little more excitable but many years later when he finally uh, you know two olympics later finally went on to win india's first individual gold medal in shooting and when i asked him i said what was going through your mind uh, in 2000 at the opening ceremony because you were sitting next to me and i couldn't see you know too much emotion i was getting so emotional he's like i knew i had gotten to the olympics but my goal was always to win a gold medal so i was already planning what i need to do in the future to get there i knew i wasn't there in 2000 i knew i was still you know i had so much more to go so instead of being too excited about 2000 i was already thinking about 2004 and 2008 you know so just goes to show how uh, goal setting even for kids at a young age very very important so inculcate it and even if you haven't done this all your life it's never too late to start right doesn't cost you a, a cent it just literally is you take a piece of paper if there's something that you really wanted to do if you wanted to save up money or if you wanted to lose those 20 kgs you wanted to go to the gym after you know being a couch potato all your life you know just take a piece of paper write it down maybe stick it up somewhere uh, for me i know i i think i should really do this now because when i'm stressed i eat you know i do a lot of stress eating so i'm thinking maybe i should put this on my on my fridge put a little note saying you know my goal is to eat healthier this year and uh, hopefully try and you know keep up with that so i think it just holds you accountable and uh, gives you some kind of clear path you see the big picture of why you're you know doing what you're doing why you're sacrificing every day to get to this one goal that you have
This is amazing. I have never heard the story of uh, Abhinav before. I mean, I've read so much about that, and this is the first time I'm hearing that. I feel like this is almost segueing into a slight sports interview almost. But thank you for sharing that. And uh, you also validated one of the things that we spoke about on this show just a couple of episodes back, uh, as in before uh, this uh, interview with you, Lair, which is um, the, one of the tips I'd read somewhere was if you write down your goals, and I remember the exact number as well, 42% more likely to achieve your goal uh, if you if you actually commit to writing it down. I think that's interesting. I, I would also be interested in seeing if that 42 is only if you keep the goal to yourself, as opposed to say, commit to uh, commit to public. If somebody puts it out there on their social media saying, hey, this year, I'm actually going to lose this much amount of weight. I'm guessing peer pressure will make that 42 go even higher, even higher, perhaps. So yes. Yeah, it's that, you know, I didn't know about that. But I think, yeah, sometimes if you do put that out there, like last year, I wanted to run a 50k, an ultra marathon, you know, and it seemed impossible to me, but I was like, okay, let me challenge myself. This is a crazy athlete in me who likes to push the boundaries, right? So I did tell all my friends about it. And the good thing was so many times that I felt like quitting because you have to do 30, 40k training runs. And, you know, you get chafed and you get sunburned and you're dehydrated and you miss out on these late nights. And, you know, spending time with your kids early morning, um, I would be like, oh, my God, I've told everybody I'm going to do it. So that's a good kind of peer pressure, I think, where you let the fact that you've told everybody what you want to achieve. Uh, somebody like me that takes it takes I take it very seriously. Like I've given my word. Now I'm going to follow up and do it, you know, get it done. So I managed to get it done. And it you know gave me so much of satisfaction. And the great part is one good thing about even social media is people do uh, encourage you and motivate you. You know, people always talk about the negative aspects, but I had so many people saying, come on, you just have two weeks left. And, you know, ultra runners from all over the country saying, I'm like, you know, it's it's on land. I'm a water animal. <laughs> like, you can do it, you know. So uh, that's the other good part about sharing a goal. So I think it's an individual, you know. It's your choice what yeah, you actually yeah. do. It's, it's amazing. Like the more I read and speak to people like you about uh, physical fitness, it just seems like it's more and more about the mind rather than uh, the body itself. Yeah. I think there's a big connection, I feel, uh, because one is in the lockdown with COVID, we've realized the importance of health, right? Um, not just it. People could be like presidents of countries, you know, movie stars. Uh, they could have had it all and still succumb to COVID. So the idea is that we need to now try and be the healthiest version of ourselves and that it's only not physical. I think what took a, the biggest toll on people is actually the mental health in terms of having to be indoors, that social isolation, people losing jobs, losing loved ones. You know, so I think it goes hand in hand, just being able to leave your house, go for a nice walk, you know, uh, see the birds on the trees, see other people like, you know, I do a toddler class in the morning and these are all what we call COVID babies, right? They were born in the middle of COVID because they're all two, two and a half years now. Uh, they've literally not been out. They've not interacted. And it's so nice. So today I made all the parents. It's actually the parents normally hold the kids. And I made all the parents sit out. We took them to the baby pool. And I said, just leave them. Like, let them play. They had so much of fun. They were like pouring, you know, little uh, watering cans of water on top of each other's head. They were like fighting for some balls. And the parents were so excited. Most of them were only children. And they're saying... They, this is what they've really missed out on, you know. So I think it all goes hand in hand. If you can combine some kind of physical fitness with a group environment, um, that there's wonders not only for your mental health, but also for your physical health. You, you know, it's easier to uh, push yourself to do a long run or to go to the gym when you have a, a good workout buddy or a sibling or a you know, or your spouse to go yeah, along. I completely you. agree. I uh, during the lockdown, I uh, found myself. Uh, 
trying to uh, i found myself way more motivated when it was group classes when there were other people live uh, as well as opposed to uh, say just trying to work out on my on my own or something like that um, thank you for that mesh i mean each of these questions there's just so much that i can like we can talk about each of these things but uh, in the interest of uh, keeping things moving and okay now this is a question i can only ask an elite athlete uh, which is the whole concept of getting into the zone also something that you've spoken about once in the past before and this is something that ever since i've been reading and following sport of any kind uh be it cricket football swimming or actually whatever it is everybody speaks about this the cricketers often talk about you know the great innings or spells of theirs by saying that they were just in the zone um musicians also often say that oh i just cranked out the great guitar solo because i was in the zone so how how do you get into it and actually i'm guessing it's a combination of both physical and mental thing and importantly how can somebody who's not trained to do this how can somebody like me who is not an elite athlete very unlikely that that's going to happen but just wants to um just a regular person looking to lose a little bit of lab live a little healthier how do we get ourselves as close to possible to be in that zone uh i think it's about consistency so if you see all like you said even if it's a musician if it's a cricketer or if it's an athlete it's about the number of hours you put into something and that's why things fall into place on d day like i remember the one time i felt so in the zone was uh, you know at the olympics when i was doing the olympic trials uh, i had zero pressure on me because i was trying for the olympic trials in the the olympic qualifying time in the evening and in the morning i had a fun race thinking i just need to get to the finals and i had put in so much of hard work uh, like you said mentally i was in a, i didn't put any pressure on myself i was like let me just go out there have fun i put in i've done everything i could to get to this point you know it's like if you're pre- preparing for a, a big presentation at work if you've done the work leading up to it if you're thorough if you are confident in what you've uh, bringing to the table typically when you go up there and you stand in front of others you can you know that's when you say that you know everything falls into place together i remember diving into the water everything felt perfect i had so much of confidence no negativity whatsoever i think that's when you can actually get put out of the zone you know when you're trying to look at the other people uh, you start worrying like my shoulder is hurting or my back is hurting i don't remember looking at my competition i just swam my own race uh, you know everything felt really strong really powerful i felt in control and when i finished and touched the wall i realized you know like to my surprise that i had actually qualified for the olympics and it felt Uh, almost i wouldn't say easy but it felt like this is what i was meant to do my entire life you know so i think for the average person what you have to do is it, it won't come just out of the blue but it also comes from one having the awareness of your body your mind working on different aspects um, you know i think we did so much of mental training right going into the olympics that really helps so it helps to cut out the distractions um, like you said if somebody wants to go to the gym you'll have enough people and enough circumstances trying to pull you away from it right your friend will call and say come you know you forget your gym let's go and have a nice ice cream or something somebody else or some something will come up at work so you just really have to kind of dial into what you want you need to be you can't be afraid to say no you have to say no and just say this is what i want to do and uh, if you do it regularly enough i think you'll get into that state where anyone can do it like i know even for running for me is such an uncomfortable thing you know uh, swimming it comes so naturally being on land like i said is very uncomfortable but it's something i said i really want to do this and i was i'm not i don't have good technique you know it's not that okay she's an athlete so she can run no i'm actually any coach who see me is like wow you you have really bad technique your body is not really built as a runner you know with the broad shoulders and things like that but 
um, I just had to go out there every day, get confidence slowly. And you know, I, I had so many bad races. I can't tell you. I've actually almost collapsed at one. A couple of them I didn't finish. A couple of them I did, and I was very unimpressed with my timing. And then finally, when I did this 50k, it kind of all came together. It's not that I won; I didn't win a medal. Uh, you know, so when people say that in the zone, it's not so much about coming out on top, right? It's about you feeling really comfortable. Uh, you feel like you know you're, you're excited to be part of that. You know, uh, like you know when a cricketer talks about going out there and you know just hitting those sixes. Um, you know, I, and I have so many friends who are athletes, and they talk about the fact that you know. Um, I kind of everything else around them around them just kind of drowns out. It's just about you. You're enjoying it. You're so excited about being present in that moment. You know, you really enjoy every part of it. If you're letting stress and negativity and pressure get to you, never going to happen. Yeah, I like that. The, the it's almost like um, when you don't need to worry about the external world, and it almost feels like you're a character in your own little uh, story. Is when you can somehow say that you're in a zone. I, so the more practice you do and all that, the better. There used to be this uh, uh, joke when uh, we were in school: the only two people who are not stressed during an interview are the person who studied everything and the person who studied nothing. Anyone in the middle are people who are going to stress out at some point. So I think there's a lot. Of, uh, uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that as well. All right, Anisha, could you tell us a little bit? This is something I'm really curious about. Uh, what does a day in the life of a professional uh, athlete look like? What is your routine when you were a professional swimmer? Uh, it was quite a tough uh, routine, and this is, I'm sure, it's different with different sports. But swimming is a lot of endurance. I mean, I would swim the middle and long distance events, right? So this would be a typical day. I'd wake up at 4:30 in the morning. And in those days, we didn't have heated pools. So the thought of jumping in the pool at 5 a.m. is not exactly fun. But you knew why you're doing it, you know. So I had the Olympic rings, like the, a, a postcard next to my bed. So I wake up and I'm feeling horrible and tired. But I see that and I jump up, get to the pool. We'd swim about between 6 to 8 kilometers in the morning, which would take us about 2 and a half to 3 hours. And then we wouldn't have time to go home. So whether it was school or college, uh, we would pack up some, you know, idli, samba, some sandwiches, eat in the car or you know, cab or auto or whatever on the way to school or college. And uh, while we enjoyed uh, our school days and, you know, uh, we didn't really have too much time to fool around with friends at lunch break. You know, we'd be sitting quickly and finishing homework because once you finish school, you'd have to go back and go for another session. So we would do two sessions a day and that would be another six to eight kilometer swim. And before that, a little bit of gym as well. So you're talking about a good seven to eight hours of hard training. And by the time you get home in the night, you're exhausted. You know, uh, my, you know, time to chill out would be maybe watch TV. Or we didn't even have computers in those days, but chill out and watch a, a, a TV program for 20 minutes. And then you'd be dozing off, you know. So by 9.30, I'd be back in bed. And I did this six days a week for close to 15 years. And there are people who have competed for 30 plus years, you know. So it is very, very tough because it is kind of like a, a little bit of a selfish life of an athlete. Um, you know, you have to really take care of yourself and that sometimes means having to say no to people uh, it means uh, you know letting down some of your friends but they take it as letting them you know, missing out on i've missed out birthday parties and weddings i remember one uh, new year my parents were off uh, you know in another city i stayed back and i was at jan first at 5 a.m i was in the pool i stayed with another family and you know they really needed a holiday so they went and um, like a good friend of mine aparna popat uh, the badminton player she once said um, you know, you can't really use the word sacrifice, 
because we get up every day and we choose to do this we choose to inflict this torture on ourselves because we want to be better because we want to break uh, certain boundaries or get to a certain time or win certain medals you know so i think you really have to kind of push the envelope every single day so yeah that's i think the tough the tough part of an athlete just to that monotony right we're doing the same thing it's not fun like say even a football like you play a match you score a goal so that's why it's very tough i feel for a lot of indian kids to get into a sport like swimming uh, when you get to the water it's almost like sensory deprivation you can't really hear much you can't chat with your friends while you're swimming right so it's different from a play a game like football where you can be joking with your friends you score a goal so you're excited more often here is just swimming countless laps up and down looking at a black line you know gulping a few sips of water so like i tell you my toughest workout was 100 into 100 so 100 times 100 meters swim okay so that in itself is bad and we had to do this yeah, it is brutal so that's 10 kilometers right just there's 10 kilometers in the water and you start it on 1 minute 30 seconds and i would be finishing in about 1 minute 20 so i have 10 seconds to like gulp a sip of water like you know catch a deep breath and go back again you know so, and then we swim in like these chains where one person swims the next person behind so i was leading my leg with six people behind me so there's no chance even if you're exhausted you're like i can't stop if i stop five people behind me are going to stop and i'll ruin their workout you know so i think athletes learn from a very young age to lead learn how to deal with pressure and uh, you know just like the fact that pain is good like you know they, my, my dad always talked to us talked to us about good pain uh, so when you wake up and your muscles are sore uh, it means you're working towards something your uh, you know there's that um, your body is actually getting stronger it's breaking down but it's it, you're going to build up to a stronger point of time so i think the regular person who's not an athlete sometimes that's where they get they go wrong so when i teach young kids these days even my own kids my kids i have 8 year old twins you know when they're playing they uh, do gymnastics so they're holding on to the rings you know and they say mom my hands were hurting and i'm like you know if your hands were not hurting then you come and tell me because then there's something wrong but if your hands are hurting is good that means you're putting in the work you know so i think for my from the time kids are young we need to tell them that if you want to get stronger you know you have to go through some hardships i think we as parents try to cushion it too much you know we had tough you know you, you know chuck you and me are obviously same <laughs> you know generation us uh, you know we were pretty much out there doing our own thing fending for ourselves uh, you know we didn't have mobile phones at the age of 8 or 9 uh, you know you you could have earned your own money and then bought a phone or you know worked for it so i think kids these days get things too easily so what we can do the biggest gift we can give kids is teaching them from a young age to push themselves and that pain is good uh, discipline is good that monotony of doing the same thing every day they might come back and say i'm bored they're like okay too bad but you want to be a better swimmer this is what you need to do so this is what we have the message that we have to tell these kids you know it's same with whether it's studies whether it's an art project whether it's something at school and it will help you so much when you get older when you realize that this is what you have to do you know to get to where you need to go it's almost like you, uh, you it's almost like you can predict what the next question i'm going to ask you is going to be because i actually wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, recovery which i i have always uh, i'm going i'm not going to lie i have ignored and uh, uh, should have focused a lot more on um in general i think that recovery and sleep are overlooked parts of fitness um at least at a, at a starting point what is your experience been like uh, how important have these been for you i mean you've had these brutal days but do you ta- did you take time out to recover um how was it then and how is it now 
like you, I actually struggle with recovery too. You know, um, when we were doing my counseling course, we learned about something called drivers. It's something that you've learned as a child. And for me, my driver was work hard. So I felt like if I was not constantly doing something, like I was letting my parents down or I wouldn't get to my goals. So when I was off the pool, I would be like running up 10 flights of stairs in my home to get fitter. You know, I'd be doing some push-ups at home. I would be watching something. So I didn't really give myself enough time to recover. We are obviously, when you're young, you do recover much faster. And that's probably why I managed to get away with it. But as I got older, I think now, especially I find that recovery plays such a big part. And now the world champions talk so much more about that. Earlier, we never knew the concepts of recovery. You know, even things like having ice baths, uh, getting an extra sleep, like you said, or even things like hydration and nutrition being such a good part of, big part of recovery. Those weren't something that we took very seriously back in the day, I would say. And uh, the only time I remember hearing about it and being, um, you know, people uh, actually making me take some time off was when I went to Australia and they said, um, I finished one of my main meets. I've qualified for the Olympics. The Olympics is in three months. And they're like, we'll see you after a week. I'm like, uh, no, I'll be back in the pool tomorrow morning. They're like, absolutely not. You just swam a really tough meet. You did your best time. You qualified for the Olympics. I'm like, yes, but the Olympics is in three weeks. They're like, no. We have a three, uh, like a, a one week compulsory recovery and you're not going to come. And they said, we don't want you to work out. We don't want you to go jogging. We don't want you to come to the pool, do different stuff. Like go read, go see, like I was in Australia at the time, go and walk around Perth and take in the sights, go meet your friends, go have a nice burger, enjoy some junk food. They're like If you don't do this, you're going to burn out, right? And so that's something, it's a really good concept that the foreigners have. Slowly it's coming into India, but I think at a very young age, we try and push our athletes, especially to do more, less rest. You know, you need to be doing something all the time. Even the top athletes in the world take that one or two months. Sometimes they take six months off after the Olympics. Okay. Obviously, you know, I wouldn't recommend that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of number of months. This obviously because they're at the elite level. They know what they're doing. But for everybody, I think that little bit of mental recovery is more than even the physical recovery. So even for me, when I was, you know, trying to lose weight and get fit during this lockdown, I would, like I said, I was doing two workouts a day, sometimes three. And then at one point I was just, I lost a lot of weight and I was very excited about that, but I was just exhausted, you know, and I was quite cranky. So nobody wants a really cranky fit person living with them. So my, <laughs> my kids and my husband were very, very uh, vocal in how unimpressed they were, you know, they're like, good for you that you've lost weight, but can you chill out a bit more? Like we want to go and have dinner. Like I would finish my dinner at 5 p.m. And then I would do my intermittent fasting and only eat the next day. And they'd be like, listen, we want to go out for dinner and we want it to be a family dinner. We don't want you to come and sit and drink water, you know. And then I was like, yeah, why am I going to this extreme, you know. So while athletes do have to push, the concept of rest and recovery, both physical and mental, is something that each person has to see what they need for themselves. Like for me, uh, if I'm stressed, I don't do a small workout. But I, I keep it something like that. Maybe I'll do yoga, you know, because I might be quite tired already, but I need to do some physical activity. So yoga is a lot about meditation and breathing, uh, stretching, you know. So physically and mentally, when I come out of a yoga session, I feel so much better, right? So that obviously helps me. And also swimming, right? For me, obviously, like I said, it's my meditation. So I'd go and have an easy swim. I wouldn't go and do a workout. So find something that you really enjoy doing. And even if you have a really tight schedule, uh, maybe uh, like I remember some, I think he's a CEO, I don't remember which company, but he mentions how more than his, more than penciling in or noting down all his meetings for the day, he actually puts in his moments of rest and recovery. Like 
I'm going to have a half an hour sleep in the afternoon. In the evening, I'm going to go for a 20-minute walk with my kids. You know, so that's what he puts in his calendar to kind of remind himself because he's a workaholic. That's why he has this huge company. But he's just trying to tell himself that I need that time. And, you know, so many people that you hear of burning out, not just athletes, everyone, right? Everyone gets the point where their nerves are frazzled. So at that point, you need to step back and see what you can do. So for me, like right now, I'm going through summer, you know, which is everyone's back in the pool. It's exciting. I just typically as a type A kind of personality, I will overwork. But now with maturity, I would say after a lot of trial and error, I I know I'm not going to take a one week break and leave my company and my swimming pools and my coaches. But what I do is in the day, I find like a half an hour. Maybe I just sit on the balcony and eat some ice cream with my kids. Or, you know, I'll take a book in the night and read. So I'll find those little pockets of time in the day. That is my rest and recovery. And I feel so much better after that. So that's something everyone can definitely try and inculcate. A little bit of rest and some time out for yourself. Yeah, I I love the point that you made about the CEO. uh, Because I am just looking back at my own professional life and the various people I worked with. The people who were the most productive people were people who... Uh, had strict boundaries with respect to work and life and even regularly took breaks. On the other hand, people who made uh, this whole show and dance of, oh, we are here working till late in the night, we have 30 unused vacation days as if that was a badge of honor, they would be uh, frazzled and uh, maybe not, and burnt out. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's it's amazing how many parallels there are from fitness uh, to uh, life itself. The last couple of uh, things uh, then, uh, just moving towards the end of this. Um, Any other small habits? You touched upon this a little bit, but I'll just give you a little more space to do this. Uh, Any other small habits or rituals that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, Not necessarily related to fitness as such with respect to uh, eating devices, maybe uh, learning, anything at all that uh, you have inculcated which has helped you. I think devices, people need to give me some <laughs> advice. <laughs> we have a tough time because, you know, whether it's work or, you know, keeping in touch with friends, I, I also tend to use my devices too much. And that's something I really need help with. But yeah, a couple of things that have really helped me. Uh, one is, you know, just eating healthier. Um, but I only, I only do it for one meal in the day. So my point is there's no use. I, my mantra is there's no use, you know. Um, starving yourself there's no use constantly checking your weight and I have done that in the past which is why I've said I don't want to be like that anymore I just do one really healthy meal which is uncooked so it'll be fresh vegetables normally it's fruits I love my fruits so fruits with some nuts and so I have it early in the day it just sets me up for the day it's not a big hit of sugar like I'm not eating a, a big bar of chocolate or something I have a nice big bowl of muesli or fruits or some chia, you know, pudding or something like that. It only sets me up for the, uh, the the first part of my day. My kids are also seeing me eating healthy. Like I'm not eating small quantities. I'm eating a big bowl, but they can see lots of fruit. So they automatically want to also do that themselves. So that's one thing that has helped me. And another thing I think is just what I've gained in the last two years is a, a sense of gratitude, um, you know, of just being grateful for the small things. So uh, when we're doing the counseling course, we, we teach a lot of our I'm a trainee, actually, I just finished my course. Now I'm a certified counselor. But uh, when I was a trainee counselor, we would tell our, uh, um, you know, our um, the people that we were counselling, our clients that, you know, to maintain a gratitude journal. And I know a lot of people who do that. Now, I don't actually have a journal. But I think for me, something small I do is just say thank you to people who don't expect it, but who are doing things for me, which I sometimes tend to overlook. So it's a habit I've started recently. So it could be the cap, like I don't drive. 
you know so when i get a cab and this person takes me back to my house and you know uh, i've reached home i just say thank you and you should see the shock on their face like they're not used to people saying thank you because you're paying them anyway but they're not used to a simple thing or just making eye contact with somebody who's sweeping the floors at the swimming pool and just like nod and smile at them so i think small things like this can kind of show people uh, like that you have gratitude for them and also makes people feel a bit more seen so either vocalizing it or smiling and sometimes it could mean you know picking somebody up like you know get they might be in a really bad mood having a bad day so if all of us can be a little more aware of the people around us uh, be a little more grateful for what we have like as much as we complain about oh we had it so tough the people who had it much tougher you know so to keep that in mind every day you wake up in the morning you're not sitting and worrying about oh my god i've got so many issues that might come into your head but you try and bring yourself back to the place that okay i i still have a roof over my head you know i have a wonderful family that loves me and whatever you i have my health so i think if you can keep that in perspective then our lives will be so much easier and i think we'll be a, a lot more a lot less obnoxious you know going about our day to day being more gra- grateful to people around us so that's something i'm yeah. really trying hard to work on that's amazing to hear and i think that's a great way to end this section nisha so uh thank you i know uh, i mean uh, thank you i'll t- t- let's take that lesson of gratitude and uh, let me be the first person to thank you for this uh, this has been amazing like we just covered so much uh, it felt like this was part therapy for me as well and uh, uh, just to be able to chat about not just fitness with you but so many other things as well i've got a peek into your life as an entrepreneur the struggles that you go through for that the parallels with fitness a little uh, sneak peek into your daily uh, rituals as well so yes that's um, thank you so much for uh, being a part of this mission Thanks Chuck I enjoyed myself too thank you And there you have it I don't know about you but I absolutely enjoyed uh doing that I I mean it was just great for me to be asking the questions and sometimes I completely uh I, I mean I forgot that I was supposed to ask the next question because I just enjoyed the flow of the conversation so much um to me the biggest takeaway uh from uh, for this like I said at the beginning was the importance of the whole mental aspect of it and in fact i think that even if uh, i mean there are enough lessons over here to be applied to say even corporate life and things like that in terms of goal setting and all that so i really enjoyed this interview so wide ranging interview i know it didn't stick with the theme of the week as we normally do here on one rep at a time and we will be doing things like this once in a while having special guests on once in a while where we do something that's more wide ranging than talk about a specific topic i really hope you enjoyed this do write in and let us know what you think not just about this interview but uh, the show as a whole would love to hear from you it's been 4 weeks 20 episodes of one type at a time and yeah we are not stopping there are many more exciting things that we have lined up for you guys so yes uh, see you in your ears next monday and see you back here and uh, take life one rep at a time see you You've been listening to One Rep at a Time by Cultfit. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for sustainable weight loss coaching, check out the Cult Transform program on the Cultfit app or website. See you on the next episode.